0: Welcome to Policy and Justice. My name is Jenna. And I'm Whitney. We are very excited about this episode because we will be covering topics on cyber safety education, the dark net, and cyber crime policy. Talking with us today is Dr. Roderick Graham from Old Dominion University. Dr. Graham is an Associate Professor for Sociology and Criminal Justice. His specialties consist of cybercrime and social media expertise. Dr. Graham's recent studies deal with the subject matter of cybercrime, how it differentiates from the subject of cybersecurity, and why the distinction is important towards policy development. Dr. Graham. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. We have some questions regarding cybercrime and certain policies surrounding it
1: first of all, as you understand it today, what are some current policies surrounding the topic of cybercrime?
2: Well, one of the things that I've been working on is uh, the lack of of public interest in cybercrime. There's been a lot of money invested in cybersecurity, uh, quite a bit actually, uh, and for good reason. However, when it comes to uh, the protection of individuals and families, Other than uh, state laws which prohibit a lot of activities such as uh, cyberbullying or uh, child pornography laws, there hasn't been a lot of uh, political will or money invested uh, in uh, the protection of individuals and families.
1: Generally speaking, how does the policy work in regards to cybercrime? What are some things that you think would help a cybercrime policy function correctly?
2: We looked for models to follow, and we were very surprised when we found that there are only three or four schools that even offer a degree in cybercrime or computer crime or cybercriminology. You know, it, it could be under different uh, labels. And so what that means is there isn't a, a sound research basis uh, in order to understand what it is that we need to do uh, and that would produce or justify changes in law or, uh, or investment.
1: Is that what got you sort of interested in studying cybercrime?
2: My research interests are in online behavior uh, writ large. And so I would study all types of things. And uh, it just so happens that one aspect of online behavior is, of course, deviance, online deviance and crime. And so in this department, it's it's heavy on uh, criminal justice. And we had some cybercrime courses, and we decided to start a cybercrime major. So. I was the resident expert, if, if you can call me that. And so I ended up um, becoming uh, interested in it. So up until this date, I've done some research on fishing uh, and on uh, dark nets. Interestingly, going back to this idea of policy, one of the things that I found in my research is that uh, the more that people know about uh, how they can be victimized, uh, the more effective they are at protecting themselves, which is quite obvious, but it really helps to, to have some kind of education. So one of the projects I worked on was with fishing, and we found that just a little bit of of uh, knowledge reduces the chance of fishing quite a bit. So uh, if there are more studies like that coming out, out of uh, academia, it might then form the basis for state or federal investment in more education.
1: In your words... How does the dark net play a role in cybercrime?
2: Somewhat anonymous and to evade law enforcement. And so if they are interested in some kind of illegal or illicit activity, uh, it's much easier for them to do it. So uh, the research that I did, I wanted to look at the variety of actions on dark nets. The media talks quite a bit about, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the Silk Road and, this, and these drug marketplaces that are on the dark net. And so I knew about that going in, and, that's, and indeed, that's what I saw. People were buying and selling all types of contraband. There was also a lot of child pornography. And so people do those things there because they can simply avoid uh, law enforcement.
1: Do you believe that the concept of the dark net is a difficult subject matter for policymakers to research?
2: Well, the space is hard for people to research because it requires learning a little bit more than you probably want to. So like I had to, TOR is the software that most people use to go on to the dark net. But I would imagine that, let's say a criminologist or sociologist who's interested in that kind of stuff, they would have to learn a little bit about that technology uh, in order to to even begin researching it. So that's a a block. And so if, if policy is informed by research, then policymakers won't have this knowledge. In fact, the research that I did was we really came to a more complex conclusion about the darknet. Yes, it is a lot of crime, illegal and illicit behaviors on, on darknet, but at the same time, there are quite a lot of people there who just simply want freedom of expression. I mean, for the same reason, they don't want people snooping on them, they don't want a Big Brother looking at them, it's just that they're not, but they're not doing anything illegal, they just want to uh, speak freely. Well, so my conclusions about darknet would possibly inform policymakers because then they wouldn't say, hey, we got to shut all this down. Like, there's not the technology that's necessarily creating the problem, it's the people there. But if this information doesn't get out, then the conclusion would be, okay, we need to shut all these technologies down because they're inherently bad, which would be incorrect.
1: What are some things that you have found within your own research?
2: There's a special type of person that goes on to uh, dark nets. Well, they have to be somewhat tech savvy. And there are several types of dark net. So even though we're talking about it as if it's one thing, there are really several dark networks. So you can use Tor software to go onto one dark network, but then there's another software called Freenet, which you can go onto another dark network. But a person who decides, okay, you know, I don't want to connect with, uh, or I want to do things where people can't see or my friends can't see, or I want to be anonymous. There's a particular type of person who does that. One type of person is trying to do something illegal, which we know all about in the popular media. And then another type of person is just trying to get away from it all. I call it people who want to be in the wild. A good analogy would be the person who decides to move out to Montana just to get away from it all. It's not like they're up to any bad things. They just simply want to get away.
1: If you would elaborate on at least one thing about the issues and the policies surrounding cybercrime that you think the general public doesn't currently understand, but that they should understand.
2: Well, I think that uh, individuals have very little protection if they become victims of cybercrime. There were several laws passed in the late 90s, I think the Identity Protection Act, and that provide some nominal level of support protection. So for example, if you're a victim of identity theft, you would report that to your local um, law enforcement agency and then you could possibly, if you know you, you find that there has been some damage to your credit, you can get that redressed. But my understanding is, at least in everyday, um, everyday experiences, this is very hard to do. It's hard to prove that you were a victim of identity theft.
1: Any recommendations you have to the general public in regards to being vigilant and not becoming a victim of cybercrime?
2: Actually, in two ways. So for the individual, I mean, it's always easy to say, be educated, right? And I think that's always the first thing uh, to, to try and educate yourself on what you need to have on your computer. So we know about antivirus uh, software. What hope that people are learning now to never click any information. It's kind of weird, like, if someone calls you and they ask you for information or, or something, and you don't know who they are, you're going to be very suspicious. But people are less suspicious about what they get on through a text message or what they get through their Facebook profile or on their Facebook page, and so they'll click on it. Well, some of this is just education. This also makes me think that it's almost kind of cultural, and we we have to get to that point where we start teaching kids some kind of civic digital literacy. I remember when I was very young there there was this cartoon where there's was a character, and he would be like, I'm just a bill, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. And he would be singing a song, and it was to teach kids about how a bill becomes a law. And so through that way, it was, it was just a way of teaching kids how to be citizens, right, and you start very young. Well, I mean, it's the same process, I think, with the online environment. If we just start, you know, teaching kids very early basic coding and basic uh, safety skills, and I think over time, you know, we won't have so much of a problem.
1: How early of an intervention do you think uh, there needs to be in regards to educating young folks about what to do to keep from becoming a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, things like that?
2: I think there's this conceptual difference between cybercrime and cybersecurity, and and before we can move forward, we have to understand that there are differences and and think more conceptually before moving forward. I think it's the same with... uh, teaching kids. I mean, I, I start in my mind with the idea that the digital environment, that it's a space that, that we live in, right? It's not just a tool. It's, it's that we're living there. Physically, we're not living there, but, you know, humans are a symbolic species. So if we, I mean, it's all symbols online. So even though our bodies aren't there, we are engaged in the online environment. And so we take this idea that we are, this is a new space that we're living in. We just have to teach people Uh, early on, you know, how to live in this new space. So I'm just saying, you know, from birth, if that's appropriate.
0: Thank you, Dr. Graham. So, Whitney, what information from the interview surprised you the most? I think the
1: information about the dark net was the most surprising. I wasn't aware of how much uh, concepts from the dark net had grown and uh, the lack of research that has been done on it so far.
0: As well as the lack of
1: policy. Correct.
0: What concerns does that raise?
1: I think it raises many concerns, Um, first of which the general public isn't aware of any such policy that they should be following in regards to cybercrime, uh, which leaves a door open as far as victimization and being vigilant and making sure you don't become a victim of cybercrime, but so little is
0: known about it due to the lack of policy that we see today. Joining us now to further discussion is Chandler and Serena. Dr. Graham brought up a good point about teaching internet safety in schools and through TV programs. Serena, do you have any thoughts about that? After hearing from
1: Dr. Graham, I decided to do my own research on education programs for internet safety. And I found out that Virginia's former governor, Tim Kaine, signed a law in 2006 to implement an internet safety program in schools. And the program is a combination of acceptable internet use, which bans certain websites in schools, and internet safety, such as chat rooms and cyberbullying. There are a few websites on internet safety that are more focused on educators creating a lesson plan from them, such as NetSmart and Garfield Education Kits. And I also decided to do some research on TV shows since he talked about Schoolhouse Rock. And I was not surprised, but there were no TV shows that discuss internet safety. Like Dr. Graham said, it may be a good idea to create a TV show or cartoon that focuses on internet safety, maybe even incorporate it into a current TV show, such as Arthur or Dora the Explorer, These education programs are essential now and will continue to be even more essential as cybercrime continues to expand. So on the topic of education and internet safety, let's get into some of the potential dangers that arise from internet usage, like the dark net, for example. What do you think, Chandler?
3: I think it's important to understand what the dark net actually is. The definition of the dark net is that it's a network where online criminal activity can take place. Identities and locations of the individuals on the darknet are concealed. It is also a software program that can be installed on a computer. Actually, only 1% of the entire web can be accessed over normal browsers, and the rest can be accessed through the dark web. One specific website used is called Tor. Tor was developed by the U.S. Navy and contains what is called the hidden wiki. The hidden wiki contains contents of drugs, contracted killers, guns neo-Nazi chat rooms, human trafficking, and animal torture, and so on. The darknet plays a role in cybercrime through drug marketing places. Um, There's lots of child pornography, um, hacking, selling people's personal information, Um, things such as the current Equifax breach, which took place, was actually through the dark web. So this brings us to the issue of how do you actually create a policy that helps confine the usage of the dark web.
0: Thank you, Serena and Chandler, for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed our episode.
1: You can find more episodes on crj.com. Have a great week, everyone, and we will see you next episode. And don't forget to visit our website for the transcript of this episode, on crj.com. That is crj.com If you have more questions about this episode, please send us an email at crjpodcast at crj.com, or like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. Policy and Justice is brought to you by the College of Humanities and Behavioral Sciences at Radford University.